So before we get into the uh, continued playoff talks, we had a couple head coaching signings happen. We had um, Adrian Griffin going from Toronto's staff to the Milwaukee Bucks as their new head coach. And we have Nick Nurses, the former head of Adrian Griffin's coaching staff as the head coach of Toronto going to Philly. There's a couple more coaching vacancies out there. We ain't going to really get into that. But just these two moves in particular, do you like both of them equally? Do you think these were good moves to make? Um, Adrian Griffin, this first head coaching job, Giannis signed off on it. Do you think these were the right moves to make, considering we still have a whole offseason to go? Right. I saw with the start, just with the Adrian Griffin and the books, I saw I said uh, – with all of the finalists, I can't remember who the finalists were, but uh, I know Nick Nurse, Griffin, uh, I believe, what's the guy in Golden State used to be in Brooklyn? Uh, Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson. I know those were three of the finalists, but they had Giannis meet with each of them, and I know that he signed off on Griffin. Uh, I'm pretty sure he signed off on Nick Nurse, too. I think they were getting ready to go the Nick Nurse direction. I think Nick Nurse dropped out of there. Yeah, when the Philly – they became available, uh, which we'll get to that in a second. But so it seems like the Bucks wanted someone from that Toronto coaching tree. He, Nick Nurse seemed like he. First of all, I said it seemed like Monty was their first candidate, but I don't even know if he wants to coach this year. Uh, maybe so, but it all happened so quick. He just got fired. Now you interviewing for jobs, you ain't even had time to process or whatever. But to Griffin, I'm not gonna act like I really know who he is like that. I don't, but. I said to you the other day when he got the job, I appreciate seeing the, the black coach get his start with a, a, a good team, not even just a solid team or an okay team. They lost in the first round. Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. Because I, I kind of agree with that, and you don't see that very often. Right. So do you think it's going to set a new president where it's like I don't have to – with Steven Silas, I'm not saying he had to settle for that Houston job. Right. But it's like – I can get a good job without coaching experience. Do you think that's going to be a president set now? Yeah, because he, even with Silas, Silas, I'm, I'm going to say he his went kind of sideways because remember, yeah. he signed on to coach James Harden at Westbrook and then they traded Westbrook for John Wall, but that went sideways. But then you see I may get the Boston job and he took them straight to the finals and now this one, and it may be one I'm missing, but like you said, this, we don't see this happen from first year and I hate to just put race on it, but I know for a fact I don't see first-year black coaches get, like I said, not even just a solid job. The Bucks are going to be a team that some people pick to come out of the East, not the center. They're going to be the favorite, but you got Giannis, who to some is the best player in the league. They were the number one seed this year. A lot of people are going to pick the Bucks to go to the finals next year if they make a few changes. So, you know, i I'd like to see him get that chance to do that. Uh, so I thought that was really cool that he got that opportunity. I didn't – and then with such – I guess you could say coaching giants out there, nurse a champion, a champion. Once he went to the finals a couple years ago, I think he has the best record amongst coaches the last, like, three, four years. Um, to have them people out there and, you, you know, you get that job over them. Um, I mean, I guess it shows to the type of leader that they think he could be. Um, also, so to the Nick Nurse thing, I'll be honest, I thought Nick Nurse was going to Phoenix. I think a lot of people thought he was going to Phoenix. He's spoken highly about Kevin Durant in the past. It's your chance to coach him um, right into another good championship opportunity. I didn't know the history that him and Daryl Morey had, and once I saw that, it said that he was interested in possibly working with Daryl Morey, and I was like, oh, he's going to Philly. They already got 
some history. So that may make you feel comfortable to be, you know, yourself when you first get in there. Right. Um, so I thought it was a, you know, it's a solid move for Philly. I, I really thought that they were going, first of all, shout out to Will, Will Lions from the Lions then check my guy out, one of the best guys out here doing it. We both kind of felt like this was going to be Sam Cassell's opportunity, but then we was like, we thought Philly, this was going to be Philly's chance to give him a chance and then go in another direction because they talked about not needing experience to have this hire. So it's like, oh, that's a oop for Sam Cassell. I thought that it was just a oop, but then they were going to go with Dan Tony. I feel like Nurse is a different situation because I said if Sam Cassell didn't get this opportunity, I was going to be slightly upset. But to have Nick Nurse out there who some people think he's the top five coach in the league. I'm not saying he is or isn't, but some people think that he is. Won a championship in his first season. Um, so I feel like that's just different when you compete with him and then he got a history with Daryl Morey. I still would have liked to see Sam Cassell get the opportunity, but I understand why you go Nick Nurse on a championship roster, at least a team that you think is going to compete for a championship. Uh, current reigning MVP on this team. Um, so I like the direction that both teams went in. Uh, Philly getting a guy that's going to be about winning. Uh, not And the Bucks doing giving the young coach the opportunity to come in and win and do something different there. Uh, I do wish Sam Cassell would have got his chance because it's like, dang, is he, you know, everybody, anybody going to give my guy a chance to get a job? But um, I like where both teams went that with, with the direction that they went in. Um, and they're both going to be two teams at the top of the East next year. No, for sure. And with that being said, I'm John W. Fresh X. And we are the Hoopers. And just to um, keep going on Nick Nurse real quick, no homo. I know you've seen the I know you've seen the joke already. The Sixers went from a doc to a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I had to see it. <laughs> I'm not taking credit for it. I've seen a couple people on Twitter tweet that already. When y'all hear this, I'm not taking credit for it. The joke was already out there when we rec- while we rec- when uh, we started recording this. But Nick Nurse seems to be, for lack of better words, the kind of the opposite of Doc, to where is Doc let his players make on the fly adjustments on the court in those situations. Whereas Nick Nurse, we see what he's doing. He'll go, oh, at, uh, look back at the finals. Oh, Steph, give me four of you this game. I bet we're going to give him a box and one. Uh, MB killing us on the inside. I bet we're going to shut all that down. Do you think that's the type of coach? If you know breaking James Harden back or not, do you think that's the kind of coach that a player like Joel Embiid needs at this point in his career, where he's trying to get to that next level, that championship level, uh, conference finals type level, to where is all right? Don't worry about putting yourself in that position. I'm gonna make the strategy up, and you just you do you, and I'm gonna make sure you're in the best spot to do you. I guess. Right, um, and that's what you know. It's fair to say Nick Nurse is probably. One thing that people really like about him is his adjustments, I guess. So, and isn't that something that people say that they don't like the most about Doc? So, like you are getting kind of the opposite of him. So, if that's what was lacking, um, I feel like you have to like you have to uh, like the position that Nick Nurse is gonna put you in, or at least give it a chance to see it through. I think him being a, a champion works well for Joel because he wants to be around greatness, be around people who have accomplished some things. Um, he's coached a great player in Kawhi, so I think it's you know good when your head coach has coached that go-to kind of guy because even though they're all different, they're all the same in a sense. Right. Too, especially the ones that are really striving for greatness or whatever. So he'll 
I mean, you got to figure out what button to, buttons to push because he's a different guy, but I think he'll be able to figure it out. So I do think Nick Nurse is a good step for Embiid. What's going to have to happen, Philly has been a team the last couple of years that's been – a big thing has been their after-game press conferences, right? Bit, uh, docking Joel allegedly to some people, throwing Ben under the bus, which I don't think they did, but they're throwing him under the bus. And then, you know, a lot of people took – and to thaw James Harden and what he said about Doc, just about them having an all right relationship. Not that he said nothing crazy about him, but when they asked him about him and Doc's relationship, it was just more like, yeah, it's all right. You know what I mean? Probably. So, But Nick Nurse has been someone that has openly talked about his players in press conferences, which a lot of, forget just NBA players, professional athletes don't like because they're not kids. Don't talk about me in the media. Let's have this conversation. So that's going to be something I, I'm interested to see how it works out, but that's also Nick's one of his ways of holding his players accountable. Um, and I, I'm really not against talking in the media per se. I just think some things are open and some things aren't. Um, some conversations you gotta have just y'all, and then some you should be able to like just have being transparent in media conversations. So I think that'd be an interesting play to see how that works out as far as. Uh, you know, post-game stuff when they go on tough stretches and things right. like that. But I think Nick Nurse and Joel will work well together. No, And another thing, of course, with Nick Nurse that has been – I don't know if people, you know, think it's a bad thing as a coach or it's, like, just funny, of course, is um, how he runs his rotation in his minutes. He lets his starters and his star players be on the court. Like, especially playoff time late in the season, like, all right, we need these wins. This is what we're here for. This is what y'all are there for. Do you think that's going to be – do you think that's going to hurt Embiid to where we've seen, not saying he can't play those heavy minutes, but we always see at the end of the year, uh, it's it's always something with him, even if it's just something that's just small. It's like seeing the hand a couple years ago when they played Toronto in the first round, seeing it be a knee. Of course, we know his first couple years he was out with a foot injury. I know you don't really care because I know how you feel about it, but do you think Nick Nurse playing his players' heavy minutes is going to hurt Embiid at the end, by the end of the year or when it gets time to that point to play those heavy minutes? I think he'll know how to adjust, honestly, and how to be smart about it because I feel like heavy minutes in the playoffs is cool. Just what happens. It's really managing it throughout the regular season. But the last full-length Paul season that we got of Kawhi was under Nick Nurse, so that's also a guy that did some load managing and stuff like that. But uh, So... I think he'll be able to figure it out. Right. I think Embiid wants to play heavy minutes, but it's a matter of can he? Because, of, like you just said, the injuries. And some of his injuries, not even just the knee injuries, it'd be these random injuries, like when, you know, the face injury, when he gets slapped in the face by being that one time. And I think it happened again or whatever, another time. So it's just the little stuff like that. But I think he'll be able to find a healthy balance. The key to being able to find a healthy balance. It's Philly getting this man a real backup, which they haven't done. It's like they tried it with Al Horford, and he was forced to start, and they just abandoned trying to get him a backup <laughs> since then. So, no, for sure. Um, I think that's going to be key for Philly. No, yeah, I can feel that because, like you say, Nick, you know, the year Nick Nurse won the championship, he was coaching Kawhi, so he was able to figure out how to get Kawhi, play a ton of minutes and a ton of games while still giving him that rest. In the regular season, because Kawhi didn't miss a game in the playoffs that year. Exactly right. So, and that's I'm pretty sure that season is the most games Kawhi's played in the last like six, seven years. And right, so there's so Nick Nurse already has a presence and already understands 
how to approach a player like that. And go to Adrian Griffin, like I said, don't really know much about his coaching tenure, first-time head coach, gets to go into a team. Although they were put out in the first round by HC, they still had championship expectations, depending on what the roster looked like next year. But as long as Giannis is on there, they're still expected to be a powerhouse in the East. Like you said, shout-outs to him for getting a job like that to where it's not like, all right, prove yourself. It's like, no, nah, we're going to give you a chance to go see what you can do with a team with talent already. Do you think that makes the job tougher, or do you think that kind of gives him a chance to play with a winning formula already? Because they've also seen Milwaukee in the playoffs over the past couple of years with you know, with him being on Nick Nurse's staff. Right. I think it makes it, it makes it tough. It's tough in a sense of, all right, you come in instantly with championship – Aspirations. Not that if they don't win the championship this year, he's going to get fired. But I think that's positive pressure that I we actually are expected to win. But it's just got to yeah, – I, I feel like it's easier at the same time because he's going to – like he could go to one of those dysfunctional winning teams where it's like we win but the players don't get along. We don't right. really play the right way. The Certain players are worried about they getting paid or their numbers or this or that, but they win because the talent is there. You got that team, and then you got a team like the Bucks that's kind of been together, champions a few years ago, no real ego. It's a set best player, set, I guess, ranking of who does what, and they just kind of need some tweaks. So I feel like it would be even more pressure on him to win because it's like, all right, you at least have a disciplined team. You have pros on your team. It's not just as young young up-and-coming winning team is a championship team. So I think the pressure is positive for him, but um, it's definitely a little pressure there. But I think it's easier, I guess, not to double answer the question, but I do think it's easier because you're going to a team with established veterans, uh, champions, and like I said, just overall, it's just overall discipline there, a defensive-minded team where you really probably just got to open it up offensively. A little bit, so I think that make it easier opposed to like just to think of a team like he could have went to like a Lob City team where it's good, but you got all these personality issues. Why can't we quite get over the hump? While you're going to this team that's made it there, now how do we keep going there consistently? Because we right. haven't been back since we've been there, but we have a recipe to get there, and we have disciplined veterans at the end of the day. We have professionals on our team. We don't have these. Whether it's off the court issues, on the court clashing issues, locker room issues. Not saying that they don't, you know, there may be some stuff going on in the locker room that we don't know. But overall, the the Bucks failed this year overall because Giannis started off the series hurt. Chris Middleton was hurt all year, so I know he got better, but you missed dang near the whole season. It's just hard to turn it on in the end, and you know, lacking things offensively. They, they've been athletically challenged for a long time. Right. Um, and to be athletically challenged and they were, I would say, shooting challenged. Like, who, who's the buck shooter? Brooke Lopez? Like, who's the shooter on this team that you're depending on to shoot? Who's the athlete Grace on Malley, the team? Pat but Connington. It's right. So, But you have solid pieces in having Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday. I'm sure they're going to sign Chris Middleton back, Bobby Portis. So it's like it's something to work with. So I'd rather have – that problem than the problem of going to a young team where we're going to be really bad, a team that they trying to get me over the hump, or like I said, one of those dysfunctional winning teams where it's like, we're good, but we don't win because we don't like each other for right. real. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely get that. That does make sense. And just to stick up with coaches real quick, because this offseason, we've seen the playoff teams, you know, make changes to their head coaching 
job, you know, Philly, Milwaukee, Didn't, didn't like Phoenix. Uh, five, four championships head coaches got fired? Like that, right? And not to say it's not something that happens. You know, that's more of an off-season thing, like where you see, especially winning coaches. You don't see winning coaches get fired because of a bad playoff performance or something like that. Usually, it's usually the middle of the road teams, the bottom of the barrel teams, or like say those dysfunctional teams. Who, although we have the talent, we just the coach can't put it all together. A la Doc with the Live City Clippers. But Joe Mazzulla and Eric Spolstra, the two remaining head coaches in the Eastern Conference, I feel like there's such different talks about them from game to game because no matter what's going on with the Heat, Eric Spolstra is all in the clear. I'm going to get to him in a second. But I know at one point, different rounds in the playoffs, especially these last two rounds where it kind of looked like Boston was struggling to keep advancing. Of course, they went to seven against Philly, not going against, not going to seven again against um, – Boston, not Steve, not Boston, but Miami. A lot of people have said that Joe Mazzulla might not be ready for this job. We could see Joe Mazzulla get fired if he, you know, if they would have got swept by Miami. Um, maybe he's not ready for the moment. Do you take any of that consideration when you look at how Boston has been performing? Not necessarily saying I know even at one point like Bill Simmons and all those guys saying he might get fired and all that. I never was, you know, never believed in that. Like they weren't gonna fire a coach the same year that they promoted him to the head coach after being the interim. But do you worry about, but do you take any of that talk in consideration with just ha- seeing how uneven Boston has been in these last two rounds, even though they are playing Philly, who's top four seed this year, Miami, who, even though they finished in the AFC, they were in the conference finals last year taking Boston to seven. Do you right. think, take any of that Joe Mazzulla talk that he might not be ready for the moment or he just not be like built like that as a coach? Right. So I, I can answer that in two ways. For one, even if he wasn't ready for the moment, I mean, this is his first year coaching, and he wasn't, like, I can't remember who I heard said it, so. But he wasn't even the first option there, uh, because if you would have known in the summer that uh, I May was going to be gone, Will Hardy would have got the job that right. went to Utah. But it's like, all right, we just got to find somebody real quick. He's the top guy. Boom. I think this is the cliche. Everything's all good when you're winning, and then when you're not – somebody has to take the blame sure. because they were good all year and now we get to the end and like you said, I've seen the narratives, they never really got over the IMA fight. Like we a hundred games in and <laughs> y'all still mad about IMA? Like, I, I just don't buy that type of stuff. You just gotta have someone to blame. Right. And the blame could be, oh, he should have did this better as a coach because he hasn't been in these situations before and didn't even kind of plan it out. but. We, he's coached over 100 games as a head coach now, wins and losses. He, we're 100 games in. Um, so I don't – I'm not going to say I, the way coaches are dropping. I'm not going to say I don't buy that. If they would have got swept, that he would have gotten fired because, bro, he can't get swept <laughs> in the conference finals. But I don't buy that he's going to get fired. Uh Maybe he'll be on the hot seat going into next season. It's like, all right weren't really our first option. Let's give you a full summer, full year. We here, cool, let's go forward type of thing. But I don't I, I didn't buy it. I just feel like it was just you need somebody to blame. Like Boston, outside of Denver who stretch to stretch was the top team in the East until the Bucks and I said it's like six times, but until the Bucks went undefeated in February, the Boston was on top of the East all year. Um they they lived and were on top of the league. All year, right, and up until 
the Bucks go undefeated from February to March. So um, I don't buy the oh yeah now, especially because the things that is it's funny the things that hold the Boston Celtics back are the things that always held them back. They, they, they're having the same problems now that they had last year, they had the year before, playmaking, uh, settling for threes, um, um, not moving the ball, like not moving the ball like they should on offense sometimes because it just gets stuck in certain places. Like these are the same issues they had on the I made these issues they had on the Brad Stevenson. That's a roster issue. It's not the coach. Um, not, to, not to take the heat off Missoula, he does have to be better. He does have to, especially coaching against a great coach like Eric Spolster. You got to be on top of your game. But you go down 3-0 as a 2C to an 8C, even though Miami's not a real 8C, and that's why they're not going to get a pass if they give up this lead, which we'll talk about later. But you just got to blame somebody. Why are we down 3-0? Why aren't we executing? Why aren't we sharp? Why aren't we blah, 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 blah. But these are the same problems. We're still sitting here talking about Boston needing a point guard, which you've, you've been saying for two, three years that they've needed a point guard. They need a real primary playmaker. They need somebody to put Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in their places so they aren't the ones making decisions for everybody. Marcus Smart came out and said, was that last year mm-hmm. before they wanted to run, how they don't like passing the ball when he threw his little shot at them. And that still becomes an issue. And the games when Boston is flourishing is when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are elite in that particular game as playmakers. So it's kind of the same issue. And they've avoided getting real point guards with signing dual threat combo guards so you could play them together, basically. They want to be able to play Marcus Smart with Derek White. You want to be able to play Derek White with Brod and play Brod and with Marcus Smart. And But all three of them can play point guard at the same time, but none of them are a point guard exactly they they don't have one real they don't have a real point guard on their roster just like philly don't have a backup for mb um so i never personally was like oh yeah this got to be on joe mazula and especially after a team loses, like people still falling for the old coach saying i didn't have my team prepared trick that's literally a coach just taking the heat off the team it's easier to fire a coach than the players is no coach approaching a playoff game that don't have his team prepared if a team come out flat it's on the players 98% of the time. I ain't going to say never on the coach, but 98% of the time that's on the players, but a coach is always going to say, especially when they just get smacked, I ain't had the guys prepared tonight. So people take that bait and be like, yeah, we need to get rid of him. He wasn't really ready for this moment. They ain't even get over the I may and how that was explained <laughs> to them. Like, bro, we ain't th- I may got a whole nother job. We ain't even thinking about that man right now. We're on the cusp of going to the finals again. We're not lacking now right. because we're wondering what happened with Ime Adoka. Like, stop playing unless you made a knee along and your court sign no more. No, nah, for sure. <laughs> and go to Eric Spoelstra, who championship coach. He's been with Miami for over ten years now. Like you say, he's worked. I guess the best way to put it, he's working with the roster that Pat Riley puts out there for him. Whether that be second round pick, late first, late first round pick, undrafted picks, he figured out a way to get it done. We've seen him go to the finals a couple years ago in the bubble. We see them last year as the one seed in the in the uh, East go to the conference finals, losing seven. We see him back this year as the AFC go back. Got to go to a game seven, even though they were up 3-0, which you don't ever want to do. It's so funny to hear people talk about Eric Spoelstra because shout out to him, he did get those two rings. When LeBron Wade, Chris Bosh, he did take help 
lead Jimmy Butler and all those guys to a finals a couple years ago. But I don't feel like there's any bulletproof coach in the NBA. And when I see talks about Eric Spolstra, especially, you know, I'm not saying he should get fired for if they if Boston go on and win this game seven after being up 0-3. But I feel like Eric Spolstra doesn't have to do as much because his team isn't expected to do as much because not because they shouldn't finish in the top three, but because you look we automatically look at their roster and say, all right, they're not doing nothing. Do you think I'm not saying Eric Spolstra has been I'm not saying Eric Spolstra thinks he has it easy there. I'm not even saying Pat Riley has assured him of his forever spot as the head coach. But do you think there's anything that can put pressure on Eric Spolstra to actually get another ring outside of Pat Riley really, really upgrading his roster? Honestly, I don't know. I think I feel like Spolstra definitely has what she's he's earned, and I do think Spolstra is one of the I would say, to me, he's one of the top three coaches in the league, but at least top five. Um, but I, I do think it would be really tough for Spolstra to, like, get on the hot seat, get right. fired or whatever. Um, fair or not fair, because in a sense, like, when they're winning, he do start getting all this credit. Like, oh, we don't give Spolstra enough credit. They're going to the finals again. He's pushing the buttons, pushing all the right buttons. But when they lose, it's, it does always kind of just go. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just painting the narrative. But when they lose, it is always, well, you know, they were lacking this and they were lacking that. And look at this on the roster. And they got these players that wouldn't even play over here. And I think it's also just the fact that Spolster is the leader. I feel like he, we know he's the leader. But everybody know Pat Riley runs the organization almost as if people act like he's coaching from the top. I mean, he did literally – Mold Spolstra, he got him out of the video room, and he was his assistant. He gave him the job. LeBron wanted him to get fired, and Pat come back and coach, and he said, no, that's your coach. But it's always seemed like this is Pat's organization um, with the Arians family running it, obviously. But it's, like I said, it's everybody knows what's going on there. Arians spend the money. Spolstra make the coach's decisions. Pat runs everything. So I do think he kind of gets a pass. So I feel like they, they just have to – they would have to be really – like, if it was any year he would be on the hot seat, it would be this year because even though they didn't make changes, like, it was unacceptable for Miami to be an eight seed. And um, I feel like, you know, their, their basketball guys are just kind of catching up with them at this point because even, like, how they looked in the play, like, they didn't even look like they were going to win a game in the playoffs if you went based off of the season and how they looked in the play-in because, remember, Miami was the seventh seed and Atlanta, who had just as terrible of a season as them, killed them. And, it, and remember they, they, real they close to Chicago, right? Did, it almost lost to Chicago, right? And did they sweep the Hawks last year, four one, something yeah, like they that? Four, I think they four one. So the people thought, all right, cool, you better handle the Hawks, and the Hawks just got rid of them. And then Zach Levine, almost he almost won a game for them against Zach Levine at the mark. Um, so I just think the, the Heat time is running up. But yeah, I think it would be really tough. Like I think Spoelstra is going to have to step away from the job before he gets fired. Not that he should get fired or be on the hot seat because I, I think more so they need somebody else. They need to be molding a front office person just like Pat Molding. Mold they need to be molding the head coach. Yeah, just like – And yeah. I don't think people – I've never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, just like he, he molded Spolstra and Spolstra is this guy that we think is he – who is that for him in the front office? You know, because Pat – He's clearly his age has shown over the last couple of years. We've seen the jokes about him falling asleep 
or whatever. Um, so who who is this person that he's molding to take over that he's trust to make some of these decisions that that can take the weight? I mean, he is an old man, no disrespect. So uh, I can see him falling asleep in a crucial moment because he's tired. <laughs> so who is this guy that he's molding to help improve the roster? Because we were talking about it earlier. Miami should be improving the roster. You got a lot of money investing in Jimmy Butler. You got money investing in Tyler Hero. I don't know if Bam got paid yet, but he's going to get paid soon enough. You're going to have money tied into these top players that you can't. It's, it's good to be able to find Max Schroes and get Caleb Martin. Shout out to him and how he hooping badges went up. It's good to be able to get these guys and be like, yeah, he's a G-leaguer, but I can put him in my main rotation. But when, you, when the talent gap starts separating, it's like, all right, we do need to improve this team. And that doesn't mean a big splash necessarily. You don't got to go get LeBron James again, Damian Lillard. But all of your players shouldn't just be these – not all of the players, but it shouldn't just be these undrafted players and this guy, the G Leaguer, and, oh, he can play over here. Which I don't buy all of that. These guys are hoopers. But the talent gap does come to show in certain situations. Like, they're really – Leaning on Caleb Martin to score for them right now. It's like Miami, y'all couldn't get no scores. And I know they missed the Tyler Hero, which is a first round pick of theirs. Cool, you missed the Tyler Hero. That's twenty points per game. I understand that, but they they're really leaning on people that they shouldn't have to be leaning on, and they just got to make more moves in the off season. We live in a tax free state. Everyone talks about how these rich players and comfortable players like to live around the warmth and stuff like that. So you have the surroundings. You're in a good media market. Because yeah, if y'all good, y'all get attention. If y'all not good, don't nobody care, honestly. So it's it's really kind of a good market. Like if it, like Miami could lose twenty straight games, nobody would really care for real. But if they win twenty straight games, they're gonna be all on ESPN. Uh, so I, I put it more on Pat, respectfully to the Don OG, Pat Riley. I just think he got to start looking at right, who's my successor. Who who not even successor? Who's the guy that can make these decisions with me? Right. And um, that can basically that's just it. Who can make these decisions with me? And Miami gonna have to do that this summer, um, because at the end of the day, you are playing paying Jimmy, like I said, Jimmy Tyler and Bam. So you gotta put some stuff with that so y'all can compete for championships. And you're making it to this point. It's good that you're making it to this point. Went to the finals a couple years ago in the bubble. Done been the, they've made the easy kind of finals basically every year since they got Jimmy Butler. So that clearly means there's a reason you can't get over the hump. You can't just keep playing the same roster every year while we're – and they, you know, you add Kyle Lowry. Clearly he's more at the end now. But you they tr- you, you add him, but they just haven't really added nothing else to me. Um, so you just got to do that. You can't keep just rolling out the same roster where everybody's continued. Just look at who people have added since then. James going to Philly, um, the Bucks getting what they're getting, and I, I bet they're going to get stronger this summer. The Celtics are continuing to get better. I mean, even just some, some younger teams like the, you know, the Hawks, Knicks, Cleveland going to get Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland them ascending and Evan Mobley and things like that. You know, they just got to continue to add to that roster. No, I can definitely get that. And like when you said, I don't think anybody's ever thought about it from that way. Like maybe Pat does need more help than – was being alluded to because once you get to a certain age, you get comfortable in kind of how you've been doing things for over a certain amount of time. And Pat had like Miami hasn't necessarily gone gone after a superstar right. since LeBron has been there since LeBron's left. And it's like you kind of get set in your ways. And I can see Pat get set in his ways. We're winning. Right. We're competitive. 
The last person they went after was Kevin Durant. And I'm going to end it with one last thing. Even when they were winning with that LeBron team and winning with the first, I was looking, I think today's the anniversary of when Wade went off on Detroit and put them out. And I was just looking at the roster and just thinking about the Heatles roster. It's like, bro, look, even look at y'all role players. Gary Payton, Jason Williams, James Posey, Shane Battier, Mike Miller, Greg Oden, Michael Beasley. Um, like, these are names. These are just – these are first-round no, picks. Sure. So, happening. it ain't even like, oh, yeah, we just found this guy. He was undrafted. And shout-out to these guys to be able to go undrafted and become valuable players. Gabe Vincent, like I said, Caleb Martin, Max Drews, Duncan Robinson. We've seen the contributions that they're making. But those teams haven't won championships. No, for sure. No, yeah, I, def- I definitely agree with that. I definitely get where you're coming from. I want to take another quick break from playoff basketball talk. I want to talk about some – it's not super important, but I do feel strongly about it. Um, of course, as everybody know, it is NBA draft season. The combine has been going on. A couple weeks ago, it was the uh, – they were running their scrimmages, five-on-fives. Of course, you got to see more drills, individual drills, individual uh, one-on-one, stuff like that. But something really stood out to me that if you didn't pay attention to it before, you would have never noticed it because it's not something that was talked about. But there were so many players this year – that decided not to play in any of their scrimmages. And I feel like, you no, know, well, you might not be trying to hide something like, oh, you know, why you don't want to play? Not, I'm not going to say you're scared. That's why I'm going to say, I'm not going to say that on the podcast, niggas are scared. But dudes be scared when they we want to run them scrimmages. But I do find it weird that this is your last time to really play and impress and even solidify your spot. And if you're not hurt, you're not doing it. And that's just weird to me. Like, yeah, I get it. Maybe you won't do want to take a little break because you do have a bunch of stuff coming up that's going to be non-basketball stuff for the draft. But to me, that would be secondary to me. Like, I wouldn't necessarily care. And I know, like, oh, you, you know, you talking about yourself. Yes, I'm talking about myself. If I was in that position, they would be more mad at me for not wanting to sit in the interviews than not playing basketball. Exactly, right. And do you think, to tie that up, do you think that kind of goes back to what a lot of veteran players have been saying about players not necessarily caring about the game of basketball, but what it can do for you and not even just, you know, really being focused on the game of basketball. Do you think that kind of plays into it and we kind of see that add over the multitude of years where we've seen players not playing those scrimmages or do one-on-one individuals? I'll say slightly. And then I just think it comes down to, you know, players just being built different as far as the conversation with brands and, competitiveness and stuff like that because like I said unless you're hurt I don't see a reason not to play because unless you're Wimby yeah Wimby ain't got to play anybody can really go anywhere and maybe you can say school I'm only you know I'm just going to worry about my individual workouts which Wimby didn't play because he's in the playoffs and school didn't play because I think they were playing at the time I don't remember maybe he just didn't do it but uh I, don't know, I just think it's a sense of competition. As a hooper, I would just want to play. Even you just play a quarter. Like you don't got to play like this AAU and play seven <laughs> straight games or whatever. Like honestly, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna put myself in position. If it was me, you got to do the interviews because you got to talk to people. You got to do the measurables. I ain't doing none of them drills. I'm five on five in interviews. That's it. What we doing? <laughs> like five on five in interviews. I ain't doing no shuttle drills. I ain't shuffling. You ain't getting me in no defensive stance. <laughs> Tell me when we doing five on five. 
And, you know, when y'all want to sit down and talk, we can talk all that shuttles and all that stuff. We can do Lifting that in my, in my individuals. Nah. Yeah, we can do them in my one-on-ones. Like, I would be more, these dudes be more hyped to do the divert than play five-on-five. Five. Like, miss me with that because you, I've always, talent evaluators can see you're good even in the midst of you having bad moments. Like, I always go back to a long time ago when, the first time Greg Oden and Mike Conley played uh, on TV and they was playing Eric Gordon. I know to everybody nowadays, like Eric Gordon, you just think of whatever. But this one, Eric Gordon was the top guard in the country and he was having a terrible game. But you could just see in the moves he was making, the way he was moving, like this man is elite. No, because the next night he came back and dropped like 35 or something, right? Yeah, he dropped literally like 35 the next night. He just literally had a bad shooting game because sometimes it don't, the ball don't go in. But you can see in how he was moving defensively, how he kept his head up, how he was talking to his teammates, the crispness in his moves. Like, this man is elite. The shots just aren't falling. So the only way you expose yourself in 5-on-5 five five is you're just not good like that. Um, and even if it's a matchup problem, even if it's something where somebody can see your weakness, you still can see, oh, that might be a weakness, but that's nothing to fix type of thing to the real evaluators. I don't think playing can ever hurt your uh, your status unless you are hurt or you're just not that good so you don't want them to see that right now right. because it's in your favor everyone at, at a combine especially as a top guy they just want to see you play hard look excited to How be you out there a team with random players like, like ain't nobody and, and if you just so happen to go crazy offensively or defensively or be winning everything that's just going to boost it but you can lose and ain't nobody going to care they're like dang you see how Judge just showed up and he was hooping and he didn't even have to do it like he didn't even have to do it that's going to say more about you than dang he ain't they know that you don't have to play but in the back of my mind I'm like I know he ain't have to play but he, he still could have played a game or whatever so I definitely I, I just think it's part of protecting the injuries protecting your brand most of these especially now in the NIL era um getting these guys already working on their sponsorship deals and stuff like that and so I think that plays a part into it I definitely want to get back to Hooper's Hooping and, and that's just all we want to see is sure. Hooper's Hoop don't you I don't care if you drunk I don't care if you got a 50-inch vertical leap, but then you can't come out here and play five minutes of, uh, you know, play one quarter. They play, play one full quarter, play a quarter, and they're like, all right, I'm done. My agent is asking just play one quarter. I don't want to tweak nothing. Cool. But you play. That's effort in itself. So, yeah. No, for sure. I definitely, I saw that list, and I was like, ain't none of y'all, <laughs> especially the people who are hiding in particular to me, like, it was, and I don't want to pick on them. Shout out to OTE because we be hooping at OTE. But if I'm the Thompson twins, I'm hooping. It's too many questions about, oh, especially especially with Wimby going number one. I mean, with uh, Charlotte getting the number two pick. And knowing that Charlotte has an all-star point guard, they really trying to figure out, do we take Scoop? Because we got to invest in LaMelo or you got to invest in Scoop. I, I think most of us, believe that you just don't play them together. Not that they can't do it, but you they're both gonna be best if the ball is in their hands, Paul. So I'm not disrespect I'm not doing that and playing on 
feeling like my all-star young point guard like, oh, they disrespecting me because exactly. even I ain't if that's not the that case, game. you never know what the wrong people is like. You never know how it looks from come from his perspective. So, you know, yeah. And on top of LaMelo already being an all-star point guard three years into his career, the star power, that, this is the NBA, is the business. The star power that comes with it, the jersey sales, the way that he's embraced Charlotte, he like it there. So, the last thing I want is a healthy LaMelo coming into camp like, y'all done drafted this Ricky to take the ball in my hands, send me to L.A. or something like that. So, but I feel like as the Thompson twins, people are leaning on you in the OTE, who y'all playing against, y'all just playing against kids, and now it's been coming out today. Like I saw the date like 20. Uh, so they were gonna be 20 during the season. Okay. But they so, they now they're but, of age. They so be they're of age. I was gonna say it seemed like when I was reading, it was like they were way older than and what they were saying. Stuff yeah. was saying or whatever. So I was just came out there and just even you just go out there and look athletic as hell, look tenacious on defense, you look like you got intensity. I just wouldn't if I was them, there's no way, unless hurt, my agent could have taught me how to play that game. And by the end of the trial combine, I would have went number two because I think it's a eight amen. He has a real chance of going top three. There's no way you would I wouldn't have been able to play if I got a real chance of going top three. And Scoot not playing, they would have people would have had to call us in for workouts after that, <laughs> working out together. That's how that was gonna have to go. Like no, we, sure. we would have to go to workouts together because they like, I really don't know which one of y'all. Nobody's going over Wimby. No matter if you think somebody can potentially be better, you that's a draft nobody, pick that yeah. nobody faults you nobody for missing. Yeah. If Wimby doesn't turn out to be what he is, that's that's like a, a open L you could take. Like you have the right to take that loss. You you have to draft him no, number one. Me and Walker talked about that earlier in the year. Shout out to Walker. Uh, we we talked about it earlier in the year. It don't matter if you think Scoot is good. You you can't pass on him. Not um, sure. So yeah, right. it, it is kind of disappointing, but not surprising. All right. And I don't know if you've seen or heard the news or not, but the Bulls privately. Have been saying they don't know if Lonzo Ball is going to ever play another game in the NBA. I knew he was going that direction. Uh, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Nate Jones. He uh, He's real immersed in the L.A. sports community. Probably follow him on Twitter. He probably don't. But he was saying um, how the Lakers were thinking that maybe the shoes, his shoes, of course, Ricky year he had his own shoe, the Triple B, Big Baller brand, that that kind of played – that kind of plays into it because I don't think people understand that bad shoes can fuck your legs up and shit. He, the quality of his shoes were definitely bad to the point where how quick even he like even it. like he had to switch every quarter. Mm-hmm. Do you think after seeing all this, I don't even want to get on the shoe because I get why you did. I get why you yeah, do you that. Get why you do. Not I don't want to get on the shoe, but I don't want to get on the thought of having your own shoe. Yeah, yeah. I get why you do that. I get the plan behind it. But now looking back at it, do you think that's one of those things? That of course that you think Lonzo would be like, nah, let me listen to some outside sources on because this probably could end the rest of his career for real and that could play a potential part into it. Right. The only thing because like I don't know what's Lonzo injury history. I can't remember if I know he didn't get hurt at UCLA, but I can't remember if he had a history before school. But I remember because remember Lonzo was just like stupid athletic. Like we used to see a bunch of highlights of him being athletic and I don't know if it was prior to the rookie year or if it was during the rookie year where he did start losing a little explosiveness. I mean, that's something I used to say about him. Like, that was one thing we used to just like about him, how he could get up and down the court. And it did seem like he lost some explosiveness. Um, and some people did point it to the shoe, and you could never know at the time. It was like, all right, is it the shoe or is it just anti-Lavar Ball? Because Lavar Ball was such a big thing at the right. time that it was like, is it really that, or y'all just got an issue with LeVar? But 
it did start coming out. Like, nah, the shoes are really just a bad quality. Like, Lonzo wasn't expected to get his own shoe. That wasn't the plan. And that kind of where they went, then it all kind of just happened kind of quick. You got to have these shoes on court by the first game, and you go from there. So, and, I mean, you can't discredit that it could have been the shoe because, you know, lower extremities, they all work together. Like, I, honestly, I, I still have so many knee problems just from my groin, like my groin injury I had that basically stopped me from playing for real. And they all go together. Like, my ankle hurt, my knees go hurt. It's it all right. together. It literally all happened in the same week, right? Like because you're going to overcompensate in other areas and stuff like that. So, if you if you can look back on it, I definitely think, if nothing else, because I don't think picking picking your own brand was the wrong thing. I just think rushing it might have been wrong. But you didn't want to be seen trying to stick to the brand, being the first one through the door, digging up what your pops was doing. You didn't want to start game one, even preseason game one, with Nikes on or this or that, which I remember he did do his little shoot thing during summer league as they was trying to – they really was working on the shoe. Remember, he, he wore Jordan one game. He wore the Currys, then he wore some Nikes, and kind of he was, you know, hey, this is how I would look in your shoe type of thing. But really, they were just working on the Triple B shoe. Um, I just think the process shouldn't have been rushed. And – LeVar always said, which a lot of people probably don't remember, he always said that he could wear, he could still wear Nikes if he want to, but Triple B is a brand and we gonna have a shoe for him to wear, but if he wanna wear LeBron's tomorrow, he could, type of thing. Um, I just think in the end, it just seems like they shouldn't, cause I'm not, like, I'm not gonna go against him wearing his own shoe, wanting his own shoe, or siding with his dad, like forget it, we just gonna make our own no, yeah, shoe. None of that, right, yeah. But, I wouldn't have rushed the process. I would have been like, even if I don't get this shoe until All Star break, let's get me a where a, a player advanced technology right advanced type of shoe where it can sustain. Because I mean, that's your feet at the end of the day. So, excuse me. It do seem like it's some complications that came early, just from the lack of the technology. And we're in this age where all of our shoes wear has this different technology in it. I mean, you could literally feel the difference. I, I go back and forth with, I currently hoop in Kyrie's. I go back and forth from hooping in my Kyrie's to when I wear some Jordans, and it's like, just even like certain grip. Jordans were basketball shoes at the time. This is what he's playing in on the court. But you could just feel the technology, the cushion, the extra bounce that a, new, a newer shoe gives you because they're performance-based shoes. While shoes weren't performance, base in particular then they weren't actively trying to find this innovative technology to grip your feet a certain way arch it a particular way make sure you when you land you got this extra bounce so you're not coming flat footed and all this other nerdy stuff that we don't got to get into right now but it is a real fact that it do play a part to your point of all that Nah, for sure no yeah i did like i definitely on lean on that like they should have waited all-star break would have been the perfect time to have tested the shoe out and seeing like this is the shoe he could play, especially just in the rookie sophomore game, that would have been a way better time to even bring the shoe out. All right, back to the NBA playoffs. Before we get into talking about Game Seven, got to go back to Game Six. I got to talk about this play in particular. Of course, it was a game winning play by Boston Derek White on, with the tip on the rebound. The one thing that first, I feel like the first thing that you're taught when you're learning how to play basketball. When you're on a team, whether that's rec ball, AU, et cetera, et cetera, wherever you're playing at, 
the first thing, one of the first thing they teach you on defending the out of, out of bounds plays is if you're guarding the inbounder, never turn your back to him. Mm-hmm. And of course, we see that happen in Game Six. Max Struess has his back turned to the inbounder, Derek White. Derek White is able to pass the ball in with no pressure, and he's also able to first sneak to the corner if he needed to catch a pass for a jump shot. And he's also able to drive and get a open lane rebound put back for the game winning shot. I seen a couple people saying that you know they kind of felt bad for Max Struess in that situation because it was his man that did it. Yes, I did see people saying that. Wasn't a lot, but I seen enough to where like no, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for Max Struess in the situation because that was a low IQ defensive play on his on his behalf. Right, I feel bad for him for something that he could have avoided, like yeah, he like, discipline. If he doesn't turn his back towards what everybody in basketball knows the most dangerous person on the court at the time, the inbounder. You would like that. Never, that doesn't happen. Maybe Jason Tatum gets the rebound because he had time to, but Derek White doesn't do it because right. Max Struess is guarding his man. Because sometimes I feel like, and you said when we were talking earlier, you don't think you have to guard him because he's not necessarily he's not technically on the court. He's inbound from out of bounds, but you got it's still five on five. You're not guarding the space as the person defending the out of bounds pass. You're still guarding the man, and to see how much space he gave Derek White and. Derek White was still able to find the man. I don't care that it was Marcus Smart. Maybe that's as a defense, that's what you want because it's Marcus Smart. But he was still able to find the man in time to where they could get two shots up. When you look at that play, does that kind of sum up this whole collapse by Miami to where it's not necessarily been good basketball on their part in these last three games? Wait, what was it? Saying just that play, like, does that kind of sum up this collapse as a whole? Because Miami hasn't necessarily right. been playing the best basketball game in those last three losses. Does that kind of add on to that? Like, whatever flip, whatever switch they had flipped, they just completely turned it off once they got a 3-0 lead? I would have to agree. First of all, I want to shout out Hillary Banks and Naomi Campbell watching Fresh Prince as we record. <laughs> and Naomi Banks just, Naomi Campbell walked into the room. <laughs> Hillary is like, whoa, what's going on right now? <laughs> no but <laughs> it do, it definitely sums it up because that's like a as Miami, what we talked about earlier, the discipline, the heat culture, this that like that's just such a basic undisciplined play to like literally just stay with your man. Um like for that to happen it was literally unacceptable. And that's been Miami the last couple of games, just like not making those plays that they made. It's like the edge is gone, the sharpness is gone, the attention to detail is gone. That's the attention to detail play. It's not like Derek White is some big six eight guy where it's like, all right, he's just this athletic. You know, what I mean, he can jump over you to get the rebound. He's at the, he's under the rim <laughs> as he pushes up, and it's like literally just stay with your man. So this feeling bad for Max Shrews is like, no, stay with your man, like. Sometimes it ain't no feeling bad. And if you've ever played and been in athletic competition and basketball, football, baseball, you just know it's times where you just got to literally stick to your discipline. And it's that simple. It ain't no feeling bad. It ain't no, oh, anything could have happened. Which anything can happen. Shout out to Derek White for being aware and, you know, not wanting his team to lose and being aggressive. But some things are just not supposed to happen. And you got to stay on your, your P's and Q's. And he didn't do that. And... I don't feel bad for Matt Struess at all. I feel bad that he was on the court. I feel bad for him in that sense. He shouldn't have been out there if you ain't gonna be ready for that moment. Spoelstra tr- trusted you to be out there. Um, I'm sure people are gonna start, like I said, they gonna start saying feeling bad about him, questioning the scheme that they were in. Maybe, maybe this guy should have been here. Should somebody have been on the, whatever. 
you don't turn your back on the guy inbounding the ball. You learn that in 10 and under. I, 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 How many times have we seen somebody throw the ball off the defender's back? Exactly. Literally. Under, so, and not even like under the basket for a game when the shot. And, and especially to get what you want in that moment because the Marcus Smart shot to win the game is exactly what I would have wanted. <laughs> and literally, you are rebound away from going to the NBA Finals. Like, you don't lose a game off of one possession, but you you lost that game. Off of one possession. <laughs> yeah. No, right. And I know everybody's going to lose to a lot of the other stuff that happened. The, a lot of stuff happens throughout the game, but. Right, there was game, one there was one possession, Miami, the Boston got a hand one, a goal 10, and a take on one play. They, a lot of things happen. I want to say the biggest problem, I don't even want to say problem, but the weirdest thing that has happened, of course, if you've been on NBA Twitter throughout the run, there's been the. Jimmy Butler's all-time great playoff talk. And now there's been the Jimmy Butler, whenever he see Jason Tatum on him, is scared to shoot the ball or make a move. We've seen Bam. I don't want to say none of these players are regressing, but we've seen Bam kind of go down a bit the last couple games. I want to talk about Boston because Boston is winning these games, but what is it that Miami isn't doing anymore that's kind of been the big difference because they don't even, they don't necessarily even look like the same team right now. People don't want to hear this, but when you get to this late of the season, you need your role players to role play, and you need your stars to be stars. And Jimmy and Bam can't be your – like, you can't just play through them. It's easy to just take them away when they're not going. They they can too easily just settle in. I'm going to keep getting my guys involved. Like, 5 for 21 for Jimmy in this game is was unacceptable. Bam – he like I like that band was playing hard and he was giving him maximum effort. Like he was I saw him just like battle on a couple offensive rebounds. Like I'm just like, gonna outwork y'all to get him get these plays. But Bam not out there to just be an outworker. Miami was running their offense through Caleb Martin. Shout out to Caleb Martin. <laughs> Why is Miami running their offense through Caleb Martin? Like, come on, bro. Like, it, 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 I get him being a – because you're, you're down Tyler Hero. That's 20 parts per game. We're not going to act like that. Don't matter. And I know he hasn't been there. It, so, you've had to find ways to score throughout this whole playoffs. I get it. Cool. I don't care about the Oladipo thing because Oladipo has never – I mean, I, I care that Oladipo's hurt because I don't want to see him go out like that. But Oladipo has not once been a valuable member of y'all rotation for real. Every year it's been about if he can stay healthy – Old Depot just might be done respectfully, no disrespect. Um, but instead of leaning on Jimmy and we're like, Jimmy, we need you to do more offensively. We don't need you to just be finding people and taking what the defense gives to you. We're lacking offensively. You're our best player. Bam, you're our best player. We need y'all to do more offensively. That's not just what you – you don't want to go away from these guys. But I literally saw possessions at the possession where – Stuff is just going to Caleb Martin and Max Struess. And I'm putting that on Spolstra, Jimmy, and Bam. Spolstra, yeah. if there's something that he could do better, it's putting your best player in position to be aggressive and score because they need Jimmy to score. Like, this is when people, like, the game isn't always just about the box score and about scoring, but, like, when you get to these points of the season, it is about your best players. That just is what it is. When you need a game, you need a quarter. We stick around for three quarters for Jimmy to take over in the fourth quarter. And he did it for a, in a little bit. He did get them back into the game, but 
you, you don't stick around for this and this is what you're here for and it looks good when you're winning and you're beating the odds and all that but then when it comes to these moments it's like this is why people continue to put other players in front of certain players like you don't run out of juice at this point right yeah so it's, and that's what it looked like and I know people are gonna say oh he's the knee and everybody hurt right now I don't care about that in the conference finals the NBA everybody's hurt unless you got a significant injury where you can't play like LeBron was playing on a broken foot and I ain't gonna make this about LeBron but he's playing on a broken foot that he's literally about to get surgery on everyone is hurt you you just gotta do it and Jimmy's it's not like Jimmy is missing threes he's he's in the paint but it's all the pump fakes, trying to pump fake. Instead, like they're not buying for your pump fake because they know that's what you want to do. You just got to be aggressive and score. That's what Jimmy got to do tonight. I don't want to see a 20-point game from Jimmy tonight. Nah. If they, if I go in 5-21, which he got more aggressive in the second half, but if we go down tonight, I'm I'm 5 for 30 tonight. Right. I'm 5 for, what was that Kawhi game, 16 for 39? Like, I'm going down. I'm, fine, I'm shooting right? 30 yeah. shots tonight because they need you. Y'all, it's unfair to Caleb Martin to be putting him in a position where he's carrying y'all offense in the conference finals. It's just not fair to him, honestly. No, that's real. And you need more out of Jimmy. He gets the 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 which he's earned all the praise that he's gotten to put them in the position and the times that he stepped up in the games that we've seen him have. But I think this is what the difference is in Jimmy, the complete player and who he is just in these certain stretches where he can do it for some games. He, that's proof he can do it for a couple series, but just completely putting it together for a whole run, I haven't seen him do it yet. And Wait. for whatever reason that may be, a big game out of you don't get a big game out of Jimmy tonight. I don't see how Miami wins. You ain't really got to go into this answer right now because we talk about this all the time. We can get into this, you know, once we get past this game. But just this thought out there: Do you think Jimmy not? I don't want to say not taking the regular season. Yes, that's why. You don't prepare yourself all year. I ain't got to ask you a question no time. You don't prepare yourself all year to be in these moments, and now you think you're just going to turn it on because you're the only person ready for the playoffs. Like, everybody's prepared for the playoffs. <laughs> and they always got that – that you you put yourself in positions throughout the season to be able to tap into this now. Remember when I had to do this during the year? Remember I had to carry this for this stretch during the year? But it's like – no, you don't do that all year because it don't matter. This is the time when you're supposed to do it. You do it once or twice here, but you can't really string along series after series of doing it because you couldn't do it for 82 games. You couldn't do it for 60 games. You couldn't do it for 70 games. So now in the playoffs, you can do it for five games, but you can't do it for 16 games because you, you can't do it during the regular season when you can literally – you're literally sharpening your skills all year for these moments. Every part of the season plays a part. Summer league matters, preseason matters, regular season matters, end of the season matters, play it all matters. And I haven't yet to this day seen a regular season don't matter team win an NBA championship. And they're gonna get a pass because they the eight seed, they ain't supposed to be there. <laughs> Is Jimmy really their best player? Is he a top ten player type of thing? He chose to do it on his all that good stuff. Shout out to the good stuff. The good stuff is there. Jimmy is Oh, he's an old school player. He's come from that era of the 2000 players that we all like, the hardworking guys, the guys that's going to grind on both sides defensively and offensively. Those but guys those, played all 82 games. Like those, exactly. Those guys cared about the regular season. They cared about the, pre- the preparation. They cared about being the survival of the fittest. And I haven't to this day seen a, t- a team yet that don't take the regular season serious, win a championship, and 
championship, everyone don't grow, everyone doesn't win a championship. They don't grow on trees. We don't win them every day. But we start putting people in comparisons with people that's won. And this is really Michael Jordan's son. And all the shots that you throw at other players when they don't, you know, there's always the famous, they chose Tobias Harris over me and all this. You, he he going to end screw with the same amount of championships as Tobias Harris. And that check the same. Yeah, Tobias Harris over you. That simple. Stop disrespecting the regular season. Treat this stuff like it matters, and we'll see where it goes from there. Mm, that's a bar. But <laughs> looking at Boston and what they've done these last three games to come back, looking at game seven, what does it press you the most about this run, and what is it that they need to do to go ahead and finish this reverse sweep around? Sweep, finish this reverse sweep out. I ain't impressed by nothing about Boston, I and I hope that the, I hope that the Nuggets sweep them. I will say it'll be impressive to come to win. I mean, just just this right now, just this. It'll be impressive to win four straight games because I even forget just coming back from three. Oh, it's hard to beat a team four straight times. Period. I heard that when we was playing baseball. Shout out to baseball a long time ago. And you get into series and it's hard to beat a team three straight times and all that because you know they're gonna pick up stuff here or there. So it's just hard to win four straight games. But I'm really not impressed with Boston. I think they're going to go to the finals and they're going to lose. They got a good shot to win because you have two amazing offensive players um, that can carry the load. And when you got that, you always give yourself a chance. But Boston gets comfortable. They get, they get undisciplined. They get slightly too cocky. I've never seen nobody talk to the refs like Jason Tatum does and don't get technical. Like, he can he, – he gets a Michael Jordan whistle. Jason Tatum, I done seen him talk crazy to refs. I done seen him just incidental content, but like a ref touch him, he done moved him off. I'm like, get up off me type of thing. A couple times in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm like, Jason Tatum is the chosen one because he does some stuff that I'm like, boy, if, not even if Draymond do this, but if such and such player do this, they would have got teched up quick. And he gets, Jason Tatum gets away with a lot. But Boston. I just I don't take that. I don't, I don't I don't see a way that Boston win the championship. Honestly, I don't think it's all there. I think they have a solid roster. Uh, I think they have some good players. It's just always something lacking with this Boston team, and I don't see them beating the Nuggets at like they're gonna they're gonna get a game. They might get two games, but I don't see them beating the Nuggets. Not I think fair. the Nuggets are gonna be our champions this year. I'm just wondering who's going to be the finals MVP or are we just going to give it to Jokic or if Jamal Murray actually earns it, is he going to get a chance to get that MVP? Right. That's what, that's more what I'm thinking right now. No, I, I, but I, I, having that pressure of, because I asked the other day, are the Nuggets going to be the overwhelming favorite? Because I think if Boston wins, people are going to pick Boston. Boston. So yeah. that's going to take pressure off where it's like we're not even the favorites. Honestly, yeah. which I mean. Boston absolutely going to be the favorite. Whether that pressure is real or not. You know, people are not going to be just like, yeah, the Nuggets got to win this. Or I, I honestly think people are going to pick Boston to win. No, I, I definitely feel I don't think like Boston – I think the Nuggets could sweep the Celtics. I don't think they will, but I think they could. No, yeah, I definitely can see that because I feel like everybody – I feel like because even once Boston got down 3-0, that was never a Boston's done this year. It was how great could it be if Boston be the first team to come back down three. That was instantly the conversation, like, right? Nobody ever nobody, thought they were lose. Like nobody has counted out Boston at all in this whole in this conference finals. Miami could win. Jimmy could to take what you know. No, everything I just said. Jimmy could go for fifty tonight, and they would still figure out a way to say Boston should have won this game. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen an overwhelming favorite, no matter what the odds were. 
quote my boy Kev and them crackers, man. <laughs> but looking at, the game, looking at the game seven tonight, <laughs> what is it that you want to see from both teams that can help either team get a win? I, I want to see di- di- I want to see a big game out of Jimmy and Bam. Um, Jimmy, I, I will I will say this about Jimmy: why he why they follow him because he does accept being the leader. He acknowledged that he got to stay even kill because they follow him. Uh, he can't get too rattled or they'll get rattled. I mean, he is their leader. He's the guy that's been there. He's probably one of the older guys on the roster, your best player, the fearless guy. I think if Jimmy comes out with an aggressive mindset, not just the, because you can be aggressive and look to score, that don't mean you are going to stop looking for people. But when you get two feet in the paint, I'm not passing it to you unless you're wide open. That's the type of game Jimmy needs to have. Um, and I think just playing with that confidence is going to give Struce confidence. It's going to give Gabe Vincent confidence. It's going to give Duncan Robinson confidence, Duncan in particular. Um, cause, and it, it's going to give Bam confidence. And you need Bam to – nobody on Boston can guard Bam. Nobody. Not, not old-ass Al Horford, not bad knee, Time Lord. <laughs> I don't even know who else they got to throw at Bam. And I know that Bam isn't just an offensive juggernaut. That's why I'm not putting 30 on him tonight. But I want to see Jimmy get 35 to 40, and I want to see Bam with 20, 25, 10 plus rebounds, five plus assists. Like he needs to have one of those kind of guys, two, right. three blocks. Nobody on Boston can stop Bam from doing whatever he wants. Um, so. No, I, I think it all starts with Jimmy being aggressive. And I think Jimmy knows that too. I don't know Jimmy, obviously, so I don't want to put stuff in his words in his mouth, pause. Um, but I think Jimmy knows that, all right, because he said even after the last game, I just missed some shots. They're not buying for my pump fake, so I got to be. He knows that I I just got to get to my spot and raise up this game. Ain't no pump faking. Ain't no baiting them in the fouls. This, we all know Boston's defense is legit. Like, they made it tough for Kevin Durant. We Are we surprised that it's tough for Jimmy Butler out there? Like, that's offensively two different stratospheres. But Jimmy has it in him to be aggressive tonight and to lead his team. No, for sure. And before we get out of here, I want a question because I've seen a lot of people uh, asking this question. I don't know if you saw that Duncan Robinson shot where he kind of took – he didn't take a step forward, but he kind of hesitated in the shot, then got his rhythm, took a rhythm dribble, still missed a shot or whatever. That's not the point. But are you okay with him? To, I, I, me looking at it, I understand why he took that dribble. Jalen Brown kind of stunted at him, so he was getting ready to – like he's getting ready to put the ball on the court. You see Jalen Brown doesn't come out there, so you take the dribble to get the rhythm. Do you have a problem with him? I've seen so many people saying they have a problem with him taking that dribble because he was already in rhythm. But if you go look at that video, what we done, you can see he wasn't in, he wasn't in rhythm because right. he thought Jalen Brown was going to come at him, was going to you know come out there at him. Do you have a problem with that? Because I don't understand – think people understand why he took that dribble. Exactly, especially as a shooter. He clearly wasn't in rhythm for him to take the shooter because as a, unless you're a tall shooter where it don't matter, you're just shooting over people, your motion and your rhythm, all of that matters. And we see it so often where a player will do that, they'll reset, even if they like more wide open than they think they're gonna be. Because you're, I mean, basketball is a reactive game, so you're playing off of reactions. And like I say, he's stunned and you thinking he's coming out that way. So that make it, so I don't, I don't have a problem because I understand why it happens. And you know you make him miss those shots, uh, and Duncan, he he's he's showing up for Miami more so this playoffs than I thought he would. Um, right. So yeah, I don't really got a problem because I understand how and why it happens. No, I've seen 
I've said this before on her, but I've, I've said it on Twitter. I feel like this is the most new people to ever not only just watch, but also discuss the game of basketball. Man, like, is y'all folks even playing pickup, man? Go to your park. It's a nice day out. Go, <laughs> go to the park. <laughs> Run up and down one time, man. Golly. But it's like just so many things that people are discussing that I just feel like, uh, yeah, you should notice. Like, I don't know if you saw it, but I think I don't, it was one of the NBA, the NBA Central Legion Hoops, whatever. Probably was a couple of them. They put out how Miami already bought plane tickets to Denver to for Denver, after the night. Like, I it's see somebody. Final start on Thursday. I mean, you went tonight. Right. We need I to, see somebody why joking you going home? <laughs> about how Denver's had a whole offseason off. Like, yeah, they like, yeah. Yes, the finals. But, it was already planned to start June. They, they usually, first of all, they, they're going to give you a couple days for break, and then you got to adjust, and then you got to do the marketing and the media. And it's not the Super Bowl where you only get one day, but you still got to play up the finals narrative. So, yeah, you are always going to. If you finish early, you always get a good amount of time off. I mean, they swept. They didn't have no extra games, so yeah. Um, but if they were still playing, they would have played tomorrow. I think. I think game, their game seven would have been Wednesday. No, their game seven would have been yesterday. Their game seven been yesterday, so yeah. you, so it would have been Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Um, then you, you had get three, four day. days off, and then you go straight to the final. So, but yeah, to ball, it's it's Monday. The final start Thursday. Gonna fly home and then fly. That's a lot of nah, man. We <laughs> nah, to, we finna go straight out of Denver. But get ready for your media obligations. Get settled in because you gotta start. You gotta make it as normal as possible, um, and you gotta settle in. And you're kind of you gotta start setting up your practice schedule. Like I said, your media obligations, uh, overall NBA marketing for the finals because this is a business and all that. So I mean, it makes sense that my. I, I, I get the how, joke. I get the joke, but, nah, yeah, it, but, but it's like, like even the how semantics are so like how people was getting on Miami and Denver would be the worst rated TV game. Right? Yeah. Y'all, y'all don't care about no ratings. Exactly. Like <laughs> we sitting there talking about. I, I, I ain't gonna lie. I don't even know where to find the ratings at unless somebody posts them. I never I don't even, even know. care about that stuff. Literally don't care about the it's ratings. Certain, I, the little betting is bigger now because everybody bets and got parlays. But even that, we used to always argue with our friends about the, you know the bets. Because uh, shout this, but you always say, you know, my like the Miami OKC series that Miami was underdogs against OKC, but it's because OKC had the best record in the league. Who realistically had OKC, the young OKC team, as an underdog to LeBron Wade? And, so like, was like, don't nobody care about that junk for real, man. That, that's that's money. That's all that is. So if you betting, cool. But uh, other than that, you got anything else for this episode? Um. Uh, no, nah, I think that's all. Just, uh, just as always, appreciate the supporters. Uh, you know you can find us anywhere podcasts are available. Just search the Hoopers Pod, uh, Spotify, Apple. Do your Googles. We uh, go to YouTube. Um, search the Hoopers Pod on there. Uh, shout out to the Off the Ball Network. We've been killing it with the basketball content this playoffs. I don't think if anybody ain't noticed that we've been going crazy. Shout out to Chris O'Brien, Mo. Kev, Nick, Omar, Omar, Ken, um, we just been going, we all been going crazy uh, this playoff. So shout out to Off the Ball Network. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> all right. And with that being said, I'm John W. Fresh X, and we are the Hoopers.